he's entitled with. And it's the whole idea of being with Jesus. We know a lot about Jesus, and we can make a lot of observations, both from the Word of God and historically. Uh, J. Warner Wallace, who wrote Person of Interest and several other books, suggests that there is no other person ever in history that has had more written about them, more songs, more artwork, all of those kinds of things. There's a danger inherent in that is that we know a lot about Jesus, but we're not with Him. So in recent weeks, we've looked at Nicodemus and last week, calming the storm. And all of us know what it's like to be in a storm. And you're either in one or you've been in one or there's one on the horizon. It's kind of the way life works. And we're going to look at Peter, uh, I believe it is, next week. But today, we're going to look at one of these that maybe is a bit obscure. It's in Matthew chapter 15. Mark also writes about this exchange. Hi, Grace. So my daughter. She's my favorite daughter. She tells me she's my only daughter, but still the favorite. So anyway, both these guys write about that. Welcome to my brain. So let's jump in, Matthew 15. When Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon, and just then a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, "'Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly tormented by a demon.'" Yet he did not say a word to her. So his disciples approached him and urged him, send her away. She cries out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came, knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was cured. Wow. Well, let's understand the context, a little bit of the backstory here. If you look at the verses preceding this in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has kind of been going toe-to-toe with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and trying to get everybody to figure out truth, and generally we're not interested in truth, we're interested in our opinions. So Jesus has been going full tilt with these guys, and it says that He left that place. Now, do we want to build a whole theology on that? Maybe. Because Jesus withdrew from noise and chaos. And can we relate to noise and chaos in our lives? 100%. And sometimes the noise is just low-key, but still just there. And sometimes it feels like there's a brass band in our head. And chaos tends to function the same way. But if we were hashtagging this social media, hashtag Jesus Airbnb on the coast. So Jesus and the boys, the posse, they withdraw and they go to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And you might go, so what? Does that mean they went to Kansas City or Omaha or Oklahoma City? Well, maybe a little bit. But the thing that's important for us to understand is Tyre and Sidon was a Gentile land, non-Jewish, which probably for most of us you go, and? Well, we, we sort of understand biblically the Gentiles and the Jews, they didn't hang out together. In fact, there was a lot of animosity between them for all kinds of reasons, but Jesus simply wanted some downtime. Can you relate? You just want to pull back. And the danger is we pull out our phones to do that too much of the time. And all of the science tells us, 
all that does is stimulate more cortisol production in our body, and cortisol is bad for you in every way. So if you really want downtime and chill out, get away from technology and all of the things associated with that. But Jesus is gaining momentum. His ministry is becoming more and more well-known, and it's leaking out of Jewish regions into these Canaanite, pagan, Gentile areas. That's good to know. But let's understand what's happening here is Jesus is well-known enough. As we read the text, it has the feel that he's been at the Airbnb, Rick's words, it's not in the Bible, okay? But he's at a guest house somewhere. He's been there a hot minute, and this chick shows up. Again, it doesn't say chick in the Bible, but understand, it's the Rick standard version, okay? So she is a mother at her wit's end. Mom's in the room. Have you ever been at your wit's end? Now, sometimes it's because the kids are on the very last nerve and the last nerve is gone. Uh, Maybe you want to buy a new product I'm taking on Shark Tank. It is a bathroom door that is soundproof and it has a video camera that looks out so you can make sure no one is dying. And it's sealed at the bottom so they can't put their little fingers and stuff underneath it. How many of you would buy one of those? I think I could sell several of those this morning. But this mom is worn out. She says, clearly, my daughter has a demon inside of her. Now, maybe as parents, we've thought occasionally there might be a demon in this kid. It's fairly unlikely. But I do want to take just a brief sidestep. This reality we see here of demonic possession, that did not end with the New Testament era. There is still evil at play in our world. Now, good news for us as followers of Christ, we cannot be demon-possessed. The Spirit of God makes that impossible. Now, can we be oppressed where the enemy is all about attacking us? That's why in Ephesians 6, it talks about a shield of faith because the enemy is attacking. But this mom has run out of options. We all probably know that feeling. And more than anything, she's not interested that her daughter gets into the right college or that she gets the trophy at the cheer competition or any of those things. She wants her daughter to be free. Might this actually reflect the heart of God for all of his children? That he wants us to be free. Not well-educated necessarily, but free. So she's crying out, making a scene. Remember where Jesus and his posse are at? They're in a foreign land where Jews are kind of not super welcome, and this chick is having a meltdown. It's probably a bit awkward. And so she's just going on and on and on and falls at his feet. She keeps asking. Matthew's gospel says the apostles urged Jesus to send her away. Have you ever witnessed one of these kind of moments, like maybe you're at Walmart uh, or wherever at the customer service desk, and the person in front of you is losing their ever-loving mind over like 12 bucks or whatever it is, and the poor customer service rep is like, I don't know, I'm sorry, and everybody else wants to die on their behalf? This is a little bit how I see this working, is this mom is losing her mind, and the apostles are like, Jesus, come on, dude. We came to like have charcuterie and some pizza and work on our tans. It's not in the text. Andy J at southrock.cc if you need to send those emails. (laughs) Totally lost my train of thought. Okay. 
So she's losing her mind. The apostles are up to here with it, and they say, Jesus, send her away. And then Jesus makes this sort of semi-cryptic statement, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He's not calling her out. He's not critical of her lineage or her address or any of those things. He just comes right back to his primary mission. And I would suggest he's foreshadowing that upon his death and resurrection, we all have a chance to be adopted into Israel. We all get a chance to be his kids. And then it doesn't matter where we grew up or what our genetics or pedigree says. The scene just continues to grow in tension. She keeps crying out to Jesus. And then he says, hey, Rick translation, I'm not planning on giving the kids pizza to the little dogs. Now you go, oh, he called her a dog. Okay, I am not scholarly like Nick and Sam, and I know a couple of big words that I won't use this morning. But as I was studying this in recent weeks, the translation from Greek to English is never 100% exact, as I understand it. And so this word here, dogs, isn't like, oh, you're a dog, because that's not cool, or it's not the cool, oh, you're the man, dog. It's talking about little pets. And I have a picture this morning for that. Which dogs get to go under our tables? This is my favorite daughter's dog, Grace. It's Lady. And Lady wants all of the food. Now, Lady is pretty good at begging. And on frequent occasions, Lady gets some of the people food. Now, some of you are like, oh, you shouldn't feed your dog people food. Don't judge. You've got your own issues. Okay? (laughs) We all have our own issues. But what this gal is saying to Jesus isn't, hey, I know I'm a Gentile. She's, I think, looking ahead of going, Jesus, I've got a spot under the table because you're the master. See the kind of tenderness of that? Is Jesus isn't saying, you don't matter, but he says, this is my primary mission. And remember, we're all adopted when we choose to be into the family of God. So she is quick on her feet. Sometimes we're quick on our feet for all the wrong reasons. And brief side trip here for a second. I would suggest as a culture, we're facing a whole bunch of noise and chaos in these months leading up to an election. And I frankly am not interested in what your thoughts on all of that might be, but could I please suggest as the children of God, we stay on path with what matters. And what matters is Jesus and his redemption and his plan to set us free. Do you suppose, though, that this mom, she's been hearing about Jesus, she's been hearing about the gospel message, and that she suspects someday Jesus is going to open the invitation to everybody, and then it won't matter whether you're Jewish or Canaanite or from Kansas or anywhere else. There are no outsiders in the family of God. So play along with me for a minute. Turn to someone on either side of you and say, there are no outsiders. You guys did pretty good with that. I'm going to give you a B minus, all right? But do we need to hear that more clearly? What it means is it is immaterial where we came from, what our current address is, what our next address will be. It doesn't matter what's up on our love me wall in the office. We've all seen these, right? It's the diploma. It's the certificate. It's the only people that really care about that are our moms, I think. 
Now, now maybe we care because it represents effort, but generally no one is going to walk into an office and go, oh, wow, you're super cool. Or even if they do, it's largely immaterial. And so Jesus is interacting in a way that suggests his love and grace and forgiveness is for all people. But we tend to disqualify ourselves because we go, oh, Jesus, you don't know how jacked up I am. Oh, he 100% knows how jacked up all of us are. And we're all jacked up a little bit. Amen? You go, they're more jacked up than me, but that's okay. (laughs) So they're having this interaction, and Jesus makes this stunning observation. He says to this pagan Canaanite woman, you have great faith. We see this a few other times in scriptures where the centurion says to Jesus, hey, you don't need to come into my house. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Oh, you have great faith. How meaningful would it be to hear Jesus say to each of us, you have great faith. And I would suggest our faith does not have to feel warm and fuzzy. It may be in the midst of the worst, ugliest feelings ever of saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that there are no outsiders. Now imagine for a minute what we know about human nature. This mom lived in a relatively small community. Her daughter was demon-possessed. What do you think the marketplace did with that? If she walked through the marketplace, did she keep her head down? Did she wear a ball cap to try and hide because people go, oh, that's her, her daughter's wackadoodle. And yeah, that's a big deal. So this story begins to shift because she has great faith. Do you imagine what happens after this when Jesus says, your daughter is healed or cured or delivered? Pick a word. Do you suppose she walked through the marketplace a little bit loud and proud? She's like, hey, my daughter, she's whole. Her daughter could go to volleyball practice and not lose her mind. I I don't know. She played volleyball, okay? There's a deliverance that is visible and tangible to the people around them. If we surveyed the people we work with or go to school with or live next door to, would they see a visible, tangible difference in us because of our faith? And don't go to shame and guilt. If the answer is no, don't beat yourself up. But invite the Spirit. We sang that a few minutes ago. Holy Spirit, fall. Last night, I was sitting over here, because on Saturday night, it's a little different rhythm, and I was singing, and at the same time going, the Holy Spirit, when He came at Pentecost, He just blew the doors open. What would happen if that had happened the same way here this morning? The Holy Spirit just goes, hello, but the Holy Spirit's in each one of us, and so Jesus does this work for this young woman and her mom, and it's miraculous. Isn't there a whole ton of miracles we experience every day? Salvation being chief amongst them? Are we verbal about that? Tomorrow morning, some of us go to school and work, and people go, hey, how was your weekend? That's oh, fine. Oh, the sun came out Sunday. Nothing wrong with celebrating that. But what would happen if in a, you know, not an ugly way, but somebody said, hey, how was your weekend? I was reminded that I am a part of the family of God. And somebody might go, who got to go? Somebody might go, what in the world does that mean? And then we have the opportunity to testify to the miracle of redemption. 
So let's make this personal, a little bit bottom line. There should be notes in the app, but I apologize. It was a full week, and I didn't get the notes passed to whoever gets the notes. So if you're a note taker, bottom line number one, Jesus withdrew from noise and chaos. If we're to imitate Christ, which the Scriptures are very clear that we are to do that, is that a practice that we engage in? And I don't mean a screen. Most of the research indicates when we watch dramatic television, it has almost the same effect on our neurosystem as if we were involved in the drama ourselves. So is it any surprise that we're a pretty tense culture because we aren't good at withdrawing from noise and chaos? So if we're going to imitate Jesus, He did this on purpose. And you can read through the Gospels and see words like Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Jesus dismissed the crowds. Jesus sent the apostles on ahead. So if we're going to imitate him, that needs to be a part of our daily lives. And it might be 15 minutes sitting in a chair just practicing stillness. And God's not offended if your stillness is, Jesus, you are super cool. Huh, I need to vacuum. Or I need to change the oil in the truck, or whatever all those things are. But as we practice those rhythms, they become more natural, more instinctual, and a part of the fabric of our lives. Jesus did this. Second, Jesus was on vacation. Rick's words, not necessarily scripture, but he got interrupted. So, second bottom line is interruptions are going to happen. Just for fun, show of hands, how many of you had a major interruption this week? It's almost universal. And some of you might go, it wasn't a major thing, it was a minor thing, but they still come because we have our agendas and we think our agenda is the agenda and then there's an interruption. And sometimes that's all it is, is an interruption. Sometimes might it be a gift-wrapped opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus with something tangible, being present. I had a conversation in the lobby this morning. Somebody said, hey, I almost called you yesterday afternoon. Those are generally not good things. They're not calling me to have pie. Sour cream raisin is my favorite pie, if any of you want to do that. Lois made me one last month. I'm still on a sugar coma, okay? So I don't get those calls to share pie. It was, hey, I have a friend that's having a meltdown. It was an interruption to the day, to the schedule. But you know what they did, which is the same thing I would have done if they had called me, is they sat with them. And they gave them space to process. And frankly, folks, a lot of interruptions don't have an answer. They just need a person to be present. And Jesus ultimately was present. And he didn't judge this lady He didn't throw any shade at her. He could have. Oh, you're a Samaritan. Or not a Samaritan. You're you're a pagan. You're a Canaanite. He didn't have any disgust for what society cast out. That's pretty important for us. And you know how you struggle with this? Is next time you walk through Walmart, Dillon's, I don't care where you're walking through, and you see somebody and you roll your eyes or you turn up your nose. And I am guilty of that as well. So people matter third or fourth, whatever it is, sorry, Jesus came to set us free. We see this little girl get freed of a demon, like a real biblical demon, not just she had too much sugar. She gets freed. What does Jesus want to do for all of our hearts? He said, I've come to set the captives free. 
And captivity is a 100% universal condition. All of us have been or will be captive or are right now. And Jesus came to set us free. So the question I want to spend just a few moments wrestling with, because we see freedom for this mom. She could walk through the market proud, confident. Her girl, she got whole. But how is that even possible? Well, she first heard about Jesus. I'm assuming that most of us in this room have heard about Jesus. But we have a culture that hasn't heard about the biblical Jesus. They've heard Jesus' name used in some very colorful ways. But have they heard about Jesus? And how are they going to hear? Us. Most of our friends, neighbors, family members, whatnot, they're not going to come to church to hear a sermon until they've heard it from us. In the fun ways, I hope, hey, Jesus is the one that makes me less murdery. That would be an honest conversation at a lunch table. So we hear, we hear a lot of things, but then we pause and do we wrestle with, is that going to be a belief for me? For most of us, belief maybe happens so early we don't even think about it, but it's there. And so we hear, we believe, and then action is required. And so biblical way of thinking that is an action is confessing our sins, which is really just agreeing with God. Hey, God, I have struggled with this again and again and again. And as children of God, we are no longer sinners. We are saints who struggle with sin. You want to hear that again? As children of God, we are no longer sinners. We struggle with it. True? Sometimes more than we even want to acknowledge. So we hear, we believe, we confess to God, we repent, which means going 180 degrees the other, day, the other way. Too often, we want to dabble with sin, or we want to put it on the back burner and go, I'm, I'm good. I had somebody in my office recently say, I'm currently sober from whatever the sin is. Rick is currently sober from Nutella. Can I get a, you know, an amen on that? I have not had Nutella in, gosh, at least three weeks. But there is a recurring pattern here. I will be back on Nutella at some point. And Nutella maybe isn't sin, but it could be. Because if I look to Nutella, metaphorically, or whatever else it is, that can become idolatry. And God is a jealous God. He does not want to share the throne on our lives with Nutella or meth or hate or any of those things. Does that make sense? So we repent and then we obey. Let's go way back to our sermon in the fall when Andy taught on baptism. One of the primary reasons I think baptism is a big deal because it's an act of obedience. That water doesn't save anybody. It's just water right out of the tap. But as an act of obedience, do we surrender control to someone else because you can't self-baptize? There are a couple of videos on YouTube of how to do that, but it's not biblical because every example we see in the scriptures is someone was baptized by someone else. So we obey, and that shows up tangibly in our day in, day out. It means we don't say every thought that comes into our head. Amen? So then when that happens... We're not interested in being sober. We're walking in freedom because Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free and to bind up the brokenhearted. 
And we have varying degrees of brokenhearted in this room, but it doesn't matter whether it's big or little, brokenhearted hurts. And the only way to be whole is Jesus. Now, full disclosure, because I don't know universally that we've done this well in the church. Hear the gospel, believe the gospel, confess your sins, repent, be obedient, and then it's unicorns and rainbows. Isn't that sometimes what we sort of think the brochure says? It doesn't. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble or trial or tribulation. Pick a translation. Jesus is brutally honest. In this world, the struggle is real. Now, sometimes what we think is struggle isn't really struggle. I went to Costco the other day. I share this kind of stuff with my Sunday school class. If they were in here this morning, they go, did you pray, Rick, before you went into Costco? I did. It was only partially successful. Because if you are one of the people that walks into Costco and stops, I hate your guts. (laughs) But why do I hate your guts? Because I think my guts are more important than your guts. So walking in freedom and having troubles and challenges is not the clueless person standing in my way at Costco. And I think they line them up. There's somebody on a headset somewhere. All right, aisle three, get in front of him. (laughs) Carol, my wife, does not like going to Costco with me. Grace and I are a little more wired the same. We did a whole Costco run, like a couple hundred bucks worth in 21 minutes. And you go, are you mental? Yes, 100%. But I'm more and more free as Christ intervenes in me. It's not demon possession, it's selfishness. And Jesus wants to set us free from that. And then our lenses change. So it might be you're sitting here this morning going, there's a lot of bondage in here. And maybe it's bondage and Jesus is in there going, let me take care of that. Maybe you've never invited him in. We have this prayer room over here. It's open all the time. And the invitation is, if you're not sure what that next step might be, is just to take yourself over there and somebody who doesn't have all the answers, because none of us do, will sit with you in that. We'll talk, we'll pray, and ask Jesus to set you free. Because wouldn't it be awesome to live in freedom? So then even when there's knuckleheads at Costco, I'm not angry, because I want to be free from anger. And the freedom that Jesus offers for us is all of that. So I'm going to pray, which is preacher ease, for I want to give you a minute to think. And then I'm going to do what I almost always do up here. I'm going to triple dog dare you to meet someone you have not met. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that your mission is redemption, to take us from the brokenness of sin and the slavery that goes with it and bring freedom. We love this story of a mom and a daughter finding freedom and peace through you. And we pray more and more we would be able to reflect that story in our lives that we have been and are continuing to be set free in you. And our prayer is that this body of believers would be a body that proclaims that every moment of every day in the interactions you give to us for your glory. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.